Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Zibby Owens, and you're listening to the award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. If you like this podcast, you will love my new anthology called Moms Don't Have Time to Have Kids. Check it out, and you'll hear from 49 authors about all sorts of things moms don't have time to do. All the authors have been on this podcast. Also, check out my TikTok, at with Zibby and Tracy, my other podcast, Sex Talk with Zibby and Tracy. Check out Moms Don't Have Time to Write on Medium. And of course, my new publishing company called Zibby Books. And now back to our daily author interview site and a quick hello from some of my kids. Hi. Hi. Hello. Enjoy the show. Mary Adkins is the author of Palm Beach, a novel. Mary is also the author of novels When You Read This, which was an indie next pick, a best book of 2019 by Good Housekeeping and Real Simple, Privilege, which was a Today.com best summer read, a New York Post best book of the week, and most recently, Palm Beach. Quote, like a sandy beach, equal parts beautiful and uncomfortable, according to the Associated Press. Her books have been published in 13 countries, and her essays and reporting have appeared in the New York Times, The Atlantic, Slate, and more. A graduate of Yale Law School and Duke University, she teaches creative writing to aspiring authors through her 12-month coaching program, The Book Incubator. Welcome, Mary. Thanks so much for coming on. Moms don't have time to read books to discuss Palm Beach. Thanks. I'm so happy to be here. I am so interested in this book because I have been to Palm Beach many times and have been in settings similar to the ones you're describing. (laughs) And this has been really funny to read. So I am loving, I just love the book. I am like loving it, loving it. And it's so well written, by the way. I wish I had read it when it first came out and that this podcast wasn't now because I would have forced myself to start it earlier. But it's awesome. And I'm sure you know that, but I want you to know that I know it too. So... (laughs) Thanks. And it's still pretty recent. I mean, it's only been out a couple months, so we're not too late here. Not too late. Okay, good. Good. Okay. So one of the main, well, why don't you tell everybody what it, what it's about and then I'll go into 
So Palm Beach is the story of a couple that moves from New York to to Florida, to Palm Beach, after Mickey, who Mickey is the husband, Rebecca is the wife, Mickey gets offered a job running the household of a man who who has a home in Palm Beach. And Mickey is an actor and he's kind of, they've just had a baby. He's tired of the kind of living paycheck to paycheck and gig to gig lifestyle. So they relocate for this like kind of sweet, you know, sweet position where he's going to make a good sat, like best salary he's ever made in his life running this household. And the, the novel is the story of what happens to them once they get there. So that their lives get kind of enmeshed in the lives of this billionaire family down there. And just some crazy stuff happens. <laughs> <laughs> Including descending crazy parrots that like come out of nowhere. Is that a real thing yes. by the way? Yes, that really happened to me down there. Oh my gosh. Like all of the parrots came out of, I mean that, you know, of course, some of the scenes down there are like, or or especially the setting, you know, things that happen kind of atmospherically are drawn from real life. We, my husband and I moved down there for eight months when I was researching for the book. So we could like, really like get to know the area and while I was researching for it and writing the book. And one night, just all of these parrots came out of nowhere and we thought like, certainly these are circus parrots or something. I mean, they looked like, you know, parrots you would see like at a zoo. <laughs> and then I, I Googled it and they're, no, it said that they're native to South Florida and they just show up sometimes. Wow. So, yeah. <laughs> Wait, so you decided to make it like a, a lot of, like a reported novel almost, right? Cause there's so much facts and figures and all of that. So like, did you go to that luncheon? Like, were you the no, I did not go to the luncheon. <laughs> so in the in the story, Rebecca's a, re- a she's a writer and she's a reporter and she goes to this like fundraiser luncheon. And no, that and that was fictional. That's not a real that's not a real luncheon. I mean, there's something very similar to it that inspired it, but yeah, we moved well, well we moved on there because we we were also living in New York. It was very cold in the winter. My husband could work remotely. I needed to write this book. So it was more like researching for the book was a very good excuse for like relocating to Florida for eight months. (laughs) You know, like no one had to twist our arms to do that. It was like, we'll sure we'll, you know, we'll go live in South Florida during the winter so that I can quote unquote research for my book. And this was pre-pandemic when this was going on? This was, yes, this was 2019 pre-pandemic. Yeah. So there's a lot in the book about sort of income inequality, disparity, the, like the, the gaps between the wealthy and the not so wealthy and the class differences and all of that kind of woven in. And Rebecca, your character is sort of on one end of the spectrum about it more so than her husband, right? Who's more like easygoing and it's a job and, you know, whatever. And she's a little more self-righteous about everything. In fact, I love how she kind of tempered herself at times and said, you know what? I've mellowed out. I've thought about this. And even though I wouldn't take such and such a job for my own political beliefs or, you know, it's okay if you do it. And I was like, well, that's mature. Like, I don't, (laughs) like, do I ever come back around (laughs) to fights and say like, okay, I don't know. I just like loved her self-awareness and ability to, you know, express herself that way. It was pretty great. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, I'm so glad to hear you say that. I think people, it's so it's been so interesting talking to people about this book because I find re- reactions to Rebecca really fall into camps. Like people find her like my friends were texting me right when the book came out. Like she is so annoying. <laughs> like oh, she no. tries, some people find her her level of being principled to be like to to be a little bit off putting and extreme. And then other people were like, I really relate to her. And I feel like she's the character that I I've related to most in the book. So 
yeah, it's, it's interesting to hear, to hear your perspective because you're kind of in the middle. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I mean, I don't know that Rebecca and I would be good friends, but I'd be happy to go to dinner with her. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think they'd be a really fun couple to go to, you know, Bradley's and hang out, right. Instead of the crazy chef and whatever else. So yeah. And some of the things that you talk about in the household, even with this craziness of what's his name, Mr. starts with an S. What's Stone? Mr. Stone. Mr. Stone. Mr. Stone is the. Mr. Stone uh, yeah. and how he like sits naked in front of his employees and like soaks his feet. And I mean, do people, people do not do that. I mean, do they? I mean, where did you get that? Did you make, tell me you made that up? I did make that part up. Let's see. Can you hear me? It says my yeah. connection is unstable. I'm good. Oh, okay. Yeah. No, that, that part is fictionalized. I mean, uh, so to research for this book, I, so I was living in New York for a long time for, for 15 years or so. That's where I met my husband and I was a lawyer and a writer and he was an actor and therefore a caterer, <laughs> much like Mickey. And so I got to know all of his friends. I mean, really his friends became my best friends too. And they were pretty much all actors, which also means they were caterers in between jobs. And so I, for years, I was hearing these stories about like, cause we were, it was New York city. So like the catering, you know, they would cater all kinds of events, but a lot of them would be for like, you know, the, for the wealthiest people in the world really. And so I would, they would come home and have these stories. And so I was just like absorbing all of these stories over the years. And it's part of what inspired me to to write a novel like this, like in this setting is because it was just, it was so rich. Like I love, you know, it, it's fun. That sort of like this sort of peephole into like how the other, you know, how the other half lives type thing. So I, I did more formal interviews and in researching for this book. Like I actually sat down with my friends and said, okay, like, let's re remind me of the stories. Tell me your, like, what have you seen? What have you experienced? And so a lot of what's in the book is like, not, you know, it's not a, a couple of things are pretty close to things that I heard from friends, but a lot of it is just similar. Like it's just inspired by the kinds of things I heard from friends. So for example, there's a dinner in the book where they're talking about cryogenic, like they're talking about freezing their bodies after they die, which did not happen. But what I did hear about was a dinner where they were talking about like getting stem cell injections so they could prolong their lives. So it was like a similar, a similar idea, but not exactly the same. Wow. I actually loved, I shouldn't say actually, I really loved the, how much <laughs> knowledge because you put into, um, now I'm not surprised to hear that your husband was actually one of the actors slash caterers because it was so real. And, you know, I didn't realize what you had to do sort of as an aging actor and what that meant and exactly what the life looked like and the catering and the late nights and, go, you know, all of the stuff. It just became very clear. That whole existence became super, super clear in a way that I love, right? You get to know another person's life. And like, I'm used to being in the audience watching a play, right? And you wonder, I always wonder, like, what are these people's lives like after? Does yeah. anyone recognize them on the subway when they leave? Like, you know, because they're here, everyone has is staring in rapt attention at these people. And then like, they open the back door and sometimes you don't know, you don't recognize. Anyway, yeah. it was a very unique depiction of actors and how even if you're a successful actor, what life is like particularly yeah. if something happens to you. So, right. Like you're only as successful as your current job, basically. And you're only as successful as your, yeah, your present healthy state. <laughs> like yep. if you, if you have a vocal hemorrhage, if you have an accident and you can't perform, then, you know, 
you don't get paid. You don't get paid. <laughs> so like, and, and you can't book more work. So I, that was really, I definitely had a misconception before I was more familiar with that world, like the sort of stage Broadway acting world, which was like a success, you know, kind of quote unquote successful artist who's made it doesn't like they make all of their money off of art, like only art. They never have to do anything except for sing or dance or whatever, play music again. And so that was a, that was a really interesting thing for me to learn once I got to know professionals in that world that like, it's, it's really, it's, it's a lot more complicated than that. Is your husband still acting? No, he's, he now is in genetics. So he completely changed careers and pivoted you know, not like he loved singing and he's a wonderful singer, but he, you know, the lifestyle is really hard and he'd always been interested in science. So it was a, it was a totally 180 degree career, career shift. Interesting. There was also a line I found interesting in the book. I think it was when Rebecca was interviewing for the ghostwriter position or debating whether or not to go that day. And Mickey said something like, you know, he was worried that she would be in the orbit of the wealthy because they act and breathe and everything is a little bit different, right? Like they need to be handheld. And, you know, I don't, I can't remember the exact line, but it was something like that. Right. So tell me a little more about that. And if that played out in your research, do you know what I'm talking about? Or should I go get that? <laughs> yeah, no, 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 no. Can you just say a little more being in the orbit of, like you, of them? You said or? something like the ultra wealthy are used to having everything taken care of for them and yeah. not being responsible for any of their things. And, and it's up to the people who are sort of serving them to figure all of that out. And would Rebecca be able to sort of temper her own personality enough in yes. that situation, the way that Mickey could kind of, you know, s- subjugate his own sort of emotions at times? Yeah. Yeah. That was something that came up a lot when I, when I was researching. And by that, I mean like talking to friends who, who really work for like the 0.0001%, you know, like the, the billionaire class, something that came up a lot was the, like when, when, when people have this much wealth, I guess many of them from what I was hearing, will like, you know, spend it, like spend their resources, just eliminating friction in their lives, like eliminating as much friction as possible. Like they don't, right. They like don't want to have to do anything that they don't want to do. They don't want anything to be out of reach. They don't like, it's like, that's what the resources allow you to do. Right. <laughs> like never have any friction. And one really fast, like I loved having these conversations with friends and, and one fascinating thing I felt like I picked up on in these conversations was, was not in like, not envy. Like the, the, you know, my friends who we were all making, you know, 50, $60,000 a year living in New York city and scraping by. And like, they were working for people who, whose net worth was like $14 billion, but they, they, when they talked about it, it wasn't in this way that was like, wow, I would give anything to have that. It was more like, man, their lives feel really constrained and scheduled and, and sort of outlandish, but in a maybe grotesque is the wrong word, just like in sort of an interesting way, but not a way that they were like, wow, I'd love to have that. You know, I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah. What did they think the main problems were? Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. 
That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Sometimes we all have stuff we need to get off our chests. Even if we don't think it's interfering with our daily life, there are some things you just haven't processed, be it grief or trauma, eating disorders, anything. It might be time to work on those things, and I have a solution for you. Therapy. Online therapy by BetterHelp. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. I took the brief questionnaire online where there were, I don't know, 20 questions. It didn't take long at all, maybe three minutes. And then I got matched with a therapist who could help me work on whatever. I picked trauma because even though it happened in 2001, I am somehow still not over the loss of my friend on 9-11. And it is what it is. BetterHelp is going to help. And I am so excited, especially because with my special code, instead of $80 a month, it is 10% off $72 a month, which is so much less than traditional therapy. And you'll get a perfect therapist for you. There are 35,000 therapists to choose from. So you'll find the right one. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Moms Don't Have Time today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Moms Don't Have Time. I think it just seemed so orchestrated. Like, I think there's a line in the book, actually, Mickey talks a little bit about this, about how like, there's no, nothing is predict, like nothing is unpredictable. Like if they, if they want to read a book, they like, have the, someone procure it. So it shows up on their counter so that like, there is no wandering into a bookstore, hoping someone has the book. And then by chance encountering a different book you want to see, right. Or like the kind of surprises that we have when we actually have to put ourselves out there and do things we don't want to do and like encounter like the grittiness of the world. Like when that's missing, something else is missing too, I think was the idea. And just wondering, when you did your research, did you mostly talk to your friends who were serving the wealthy people, or did you actually interview wealthy people themselves? I interviewed no wealthy people themselves. <laughs> I interviewed, I mean, by wealthy, we mean like, I, I know quite wealthy people. I, I am not personally friends with any billionaires, so I didn't have any access to any billionaires to interview for this book. So yeah, for, for this, and you know, since my, my main characters here are not the, are not the billionaire. I mean, the, the, the billionaire couple in the book are like, they're pretty serious secondary characters. And so for, for researching them, I, I, it was online, you know, just like a whole bunch of online, like Mrs. Stone, I wanted to be like a self-made, she wasn't a self-made billionaire, but she was a self-made multimillionaire. And to figure out, you know, what was realistic for a woman, her age, she's in her seventies. So like in her, a woman in her seventies, who's basically a self-made multimillionaire, like what would that person's life have looked like? And so looking into that, they're like, they're not that many 
in the real world, there are not that many women who have done what Mrs. Stone did. So like, really, it was just a handful of people who I got to kind of stalk online, (laughs) you know, to figure out like, who are these ladies? Like, what is their, what's, you know, what's their background? What seems to be driving them? What, like, how does their personality come across in interviews? It was, it was more that kind of secondhand research. Interesting. I couldn't believe when you said that the oil painting in the dining room that they just kept repainting the wife's face whenever he would get yeah. divorced. Oh my gosh. That's a real detail. No, stop. <laughs> yeah. Oh, a friend no. told me, a friend t- told me about that. But that was one of those that was like so good that that is so I good. Did, That's I worth writing a whole it. book about. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So after your whole sort of experiment in Palm Beach life, were you happy to come back? Did you go back to New York? Are you here now? No, then we moved to Nashville. For, so my husband could start graduate school because he had, he had pivoted. So no, I was actually sad to leave. I really loved living in Palm beach. I love Palm beach. I think it's like a really interesting place and a beautiful place. And everyone's so nice. I mean, it's, you know, there are a lot of people who retire there. So, and I had a young kid while we were there. So it was fun. It was fun. Cause like all of you know, all of the people in our building were, it was like 90% of the building were retirees and they would just like love to play with my son. <laughs> it, was just, it was like a very happy, friendly place. So I was kind of sad to leave. Did you, how was the book received in Palm Beach? I have no idea. I haven't been down there since it came <laughs> out. I mean, I have, I would have thought you would do like uh, tons of marketing events there. <laughs> No, like I, I would have thought so too, but you know, everything's still virtual mostly. So no. So I've been doing virtual events with like bookstores and other places where I have, cause I don't really have many, I have one friend in Palm Beach, one really good friend in Palm Beach, but I didn't have any personal connections down there before I wrote the book. Like it was like, I, I found it like a fascinating place and was excited to set a story there and then to live there for a little bit. But like, I don't, I have no roots there. You know, you've been there a lot. Do you have roots there? How, what's your connection? Well, my grandmother lived and retired to Palm Beach Gardens. So I've been nice. going down there since I was a baby, basically. In fact, my parents used to like put me on a plane, be like, see you later. Oh, wow. With my little brother, we would get like little, I like, I asked her at the other, oh, like, yeah, why did little... you do that? Why? Why did you not? Why? <laughs> I can't believe it. Just like flying to Florida. I, like Anyway, it's a different time. But <laughs> yeah. And my dad and stepmom are down there and, you know, in the winter and blah, blah, blah. And I have some friends who have moved there, by the way, relocated, living such a nice life. In fact, we went down once towards the end of the pandemic and I was like, I should move here. And we started like looking online for houses and like, I was like, we're not doing this. But anyway, it's always fun about what your life would be like in another place. So I'm sort of jealous that you actually just did it for all the time. I talk about trying new places and never do. And here I am still in New York and I'm like 45 years old. So anyway. (laughs) <laughs> well, yeah, it, it was kind of, it was pretty dreamy for like eight months. It was pretty, it was pretty great. So what are you working on now? You working on another book? No, I'm kind of at the beginning stage of figuring out what the next book will be. So just the, the stage of, and by that, I mean, emailing my agent with ideas and that she shoots down. (laughs) No, she doesn't shoot them down, but like, she always has good thoughts of like, have you thought about this? Have you thought about this? And then I'm like, well, how about this different idea? So we're, we're in that phase of, of tossing around, tossing around book ideas. Interesting. Well, I think you should just keep profiling communities that you'd want to live in. And that could be like a whole thing. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Moving around. Your next book could be Nashville. Although I think it's a TV show, but whatever. Um, (laughs) 
Anyway, I'm actually going to be in Nashville in February at some point for a book event down there. So maybe we can yeah, meet up or let do me something know. or whatever. I would love event. that. Yeah. Or let me know about, yeah, your event. I would love to come. Yeah. I think it's at some JCC or something or I don't know. Cool. Books are, the books are going to be from Parnassus, but it's not at Parnassus. So. Yes. Yeah. There are lots of those here. Yeah. Parnassus is like on the side. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Parnassus on the side. Yeah. Parnassus adjacent event. <laughs> <laughs> What advice would you have for aspiring authors? Oh, don't get bogged down in rules. Like for a long time, I just was so bogged down in writing rules and not inspire. You know, I, I kind of didn't allow myself to follow inspiration and I see a lot of people doing that. I mean, I work with writers now on, on writing novels. And so I see a lot of, a lot of people come to working with me from a place of like, I've memorized, you know, they've memorized 200 things that they need to be doing <laughs> and they feel wonder why they're like, oh, this isn't fun. And I'm, I'm exhausted and it's, you know, what do I do? So that's what I would say. Just try to forget all the rules and like, you know, write what makes what you enjoy. Cause when we like, I feel like I enjoy writing so much these days. And I think that started when I finally started writing what I enjoy reading. Like if I, cause I love reading, like i a huge reader. And I, so I just try to write what I would like to read. And I think when I just think about it really simply like that, it takes the pressure off. What are some things you've read lately that you've loved or just ever? I just read a novel last week called Surrogate by Tony Helene, the surrogate. I just read this last week. I couldn't put it down. It was a real page turner. Wow. Okay. And what else am I reading right now? Oh, I just read Sorrow and Bliss by Meg Mason. I'm reading Harlem Shuffle, Colson Whitehead. Mm-hmm. And what else am I reading? Yeah, I, I do that thing where I have like the stack of books that, you know, it's like I'm kind of shifting between them all the time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know how that goes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, I'm sure you do. <laughs> Excellent. Well, Mary, thank you. Thanks so much for this fun chat. And the hours that I've spent reading your book that I've loved. So anyway, it's been sort of delightful and indulgent to escape to Palm Beach while I'm here in the cold in New York. So thank you for that. <laughs> yeah, my pleasure. My quickest trip there yet. <laughs> well, it was, yeah, it was such a pleasure. Thanks for inviting me on the podcast. I love listening to your podcast. So it's fun to get to be a guest. Oh, thank you. That means a lot. Thank you. All right. Well, have a great day and take care. You too. Okay. Bye, Mary. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.